Good morning. Let me have you uh, introduce yourself for guests. Yes, so uh, my name is uh, Pontus, and sometimes I include my uh, old gamer name, Zlapt Mahler. I'm the Director of Business Development for Global Top Round, as well as uh, Game Round, which is all under our holding company, GXC. Uh, we are, uh, you know, a, an international company with headquarters in Korea, a uh, company in the U.S., in Thailand, and in Singapore. And uh, what my job is, in short, for each company is for Global Top Round, I help manage the investments that we do, and we might you know, go into what we do in more detail later, but uh, I help manage our portfolio. I help finding publishing, uh, VC distribution, IP deals for those companies. And on the game round side, I help a little bit on the strategy, you know, marketing and, but most importantly, hiring people. So since I joined the, the company uh, a few years back, we've grown from five people to now 38. Uh, we just announced our series a, uh, a few weeks back. And, uh, yeah, I myself, uh, managed 22 of those people. And uh, the reason I have that little uh, gamer tag is I used to be a professional gamer, actually, in my first career. Uh, so I was a pro gamer slash uh, game design consultant. And that's where my kind of nickname came from. And sometimes I include it, sometimes I don't. You know, it's, uh, it's back and forth. <laughs> I, I can, as someone else with a, with a gaming nickname, I can certainly understand uh, the uh, the balance you have to strike between some people strictly still go by uh, a lot of people from esports backgrounds. No one even really knows their name. Uh, they go by <laughs> nicknames and uh, professional exactly. gamer tags and stuff. But that's one reason I wanted to do this. You've you had a really interesting career so far, and uh, I'm sure you're far from done. So, yeah, it was fun to read about your sort of history in esports. Uh, what was the game that you played? Yeah, so I started off. Uh, well, kind of the same when I did the consulting, but uh, the game called Heroes of New Earth, I guess, is when I, you know, became something, if we were to put it that way. Um, I became one of the first pro gamers to actually just, you know, make educational content. That was my niche. Um, I've always liked helping people. Uh, you know, I was I was studying to be a psychiatrist. So that was going to be my career path if this random thing did not happen to me. And I ended up where I am today. And uh, yeah, when I became good at the game, I was like, okay, what do I want to do? And I was like, I want to make educational content. So I created like how to think like a pro was one of my series where I just spoke out loud everything I did without reading the chat and just like talked every thought in my head. And then I did a, a more, you know, structured kind of scripted one where I talked about each hero and how to build it. And that kind of led into my eventual consulting gigs, but also I became the kind of the face of the game. So I did the official guide. So if you ever, if anybody plays Han, and you log in and you pick any hero, you'll notice that the top guide is my name. So I became like the default guides in the game, which are very outdated now, by the way. I'm sorry if you're playing Han. It's not my fault. <laughs> um, but yeah, so here's the new earth. And then, you know, I I did take a stab at Dota 2, but honestly, I'm, I'm I'm an extrovert. I And when you are a pro gamer, you are you need to put in the time. I always use this really simple analogy, which is, if you play football and you want to be as good as Messi, and if your body was able to, you'd play football 10 hours a day because you want to get better than Messi. I mean, that's just how it is, right? You want to be the new Messi. And in gaming, you don't have that physical exertion or, you know, all that pain in your body after you play. So in gaming, even if you don't want to, you, you want to push yourselves to get better and better. So, you know, I just played way too much. That's as simple as it is. So after eight years, I was like, all right, I'm done. You know, I, I, I tried Dota for a year. I was like, I don't enjoy it anymore. I want to go out. I want to continue my business. And I just put it aside. 
it seemed like your uh I did find a website that sort of followed your your esports career. It seemed like you did very well yep. while you were there. Uh I assume you got started fairly young. I believe my first official tournament was when I was 12 years old at Dreamhack. I was wow. 12 or 13, yeah, and we ended up placing second place against the well, we were basically, everyone thought we were going to be last place. That's when we kind of broke out. Everybody was like, Denial Esports was our name back then. Nobody thought we were going to go anywhere. And then we just literally like destroyed the opposition. And then we came into the finals and we got destroyed in return. <laughs> so it was kind of like a funny little, everyone was so hyped. And then the finals was honestly probably one of the worst finals of all of Honest history. So that was a very exciting, but also a bit embarrassing. But yeah, I started at... Um, Age of twelve or thirteen, and I quit around yeah twenty twenty one uh, twenty twenty one. Yeah. What a what a life experience for somebody that young. Now it's younger than I expected you to say. That at twelve years yeah. old, I I can't remember really what I was like at twelve years old, but I probably wasn't ready for that. You know. I mean, it's funny you mention it because there's one of the best players in the world, in my opinion, right now in Dota two called Mike, who's playing for Team Liquid, and actually he used to be my teammate in Han, and we you know we found him in a public game. And if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure he was 11 years old when we picked him up. But maybe I'm going to get I, I honestly don't remember. But he's still, you know, a, a kid to me. You know, I remember playing with him when he was super young and watching him grow, you know, just not only in the game, but as a person, which is just awesome to see. And now he's an adult, which is also kind of crazy for me. But uh, no, there is a lot of really cool talent out there for young people. Yeah. It's it's become an interesting time for uh, younger people who want to go into either side of it as players or as creators. Uh, I think we're seeing younger people than ever doing extremely well on both ends of that. Um, how yeah. did this transition for you go into uh, consulting? Yeah, so I uh, I mean, I've always had a kind of like a business mind. You know, I got my first sponsorship deal when I was uh, I believe I was. This was before I was pros. I think I was 12 as well, uh, just before I kind of broke out. And I was just like, I want a sponsor. I have a couple hundred viewers on my Twitch. And I just walked up to Logitech, who turned out to be the head of all of Europe and Nordics. And I just said, this, and I brought like two papers, like a 4 that said my channel <laughs> names, who I was, and why Logitech should sponsor me. And I went up and I said, this is my name, you know, and I was, you know, a small kid. And I'm like, uh, I really think this would be beneficial for you guys. And, you know, I could do some giveaways on my stream. I don't want any money, I said. I just want some cool Logitech products to reward my community. One week later, that same guy emails me back and said, let's do it. And I was sponsored for years by Logitech. Um, so that's kind of, you know, even as a young person, I, I just went for it. You know, I wasn't scared of failing. I just decided to go out and find what I wanted. And uh when I got older, I started off as a beta tester in, in Heroes of New Earth, you know, just helping out free of charge that then turned into more gigs, into more gigs. And when I decided to kind of put uh, my pro career completely aside, it was super easy for me to, you know, really go full time consulting. So I started consulting, you know, big telecoms in Asia uh, on like esports strategy, influencer strategy. Uh, what games to kind of pick out and, st and stuff like that. I worked with a Chinese company on helping them get into Southeast Asia because that's where I've been based for the last couple of years. And I also led the biggest esport organization in Southeast Asia on merchandise. So Neolution Esports, I became the CEO of that and had 87 employees. Um, so all that experience, like building my own channel, building sponsorships, building business deal, and a little bit of side consulting for uh, for indie companies then just turned into a full-blown consultancy. And I did that for a couple of years before I eventually, of course, landed here in, uh, 
in GXC. So it's just, uh, I always say this, you know, in, in any podcast or interview that I do, it's just about putting your name out there and trying, you know, I, I was a bit lucky, I guess, uh, when I got my first big consulting gig, which was with the Chinese company, I did a really good job. And shortly after I was referred by them to three, four other clients and it ended up all just piling on so that I got so many opportunities. And then of course it's relationships. I've been working with NVIDIA for 10 years, you know, like they've been following me since I was uh, very young until now, you know, I went from being sponsored to helping them with marketing and helping them with finding partnerships and at Biostar, which is one of my current sponsors, even though I don't play anymore, you know, I helped them with localizing to Southeast Asia, finding the right like media and PR to do there and like reaching out to the audience. So it's all just kind of, you know, transitioned into something that is all about, you know, give and take, you know, helping people, showing that you're good at it. And then, you know, relationships just keep going. You uh, clearly had a career built up uh, long, long before you uh, totally stopped playing. So how, how was the Asian relocation sort of, how did that work for you? It's very funny. So my best friend's name is uh, Pontus and one day, and we were just super drunk. You know, I was in Sweden and uh, we, I'm, you know, being a streamer and working as a consultant, you don't really have the eight to five hours, you know, as I'm sure you're aware, right? So you need to be very flexible. And in Sweden, there is not a lot of restaurants and things to do after 8, 9 p.m. in the middle of the week. Mm -hmm. So your life is very boring unless you like being alone, which I don't. So, you know, I've been doing that for a couple of years, the consulting, the YouTube, the Twitch and everything. And I was getting more bored and more demotivated every year. That, yeah, one day I got really drunk with Pontus and he just said, why don't you move to Thailand? Because uh, I skipped a portion, of course, which is that most of my fan base was actually Asian, was Filipinos, Malaysians and Thai people. Because Heroes of New Earth had the biggest player base there. And I took advantage of that by translating all my content to Thai. And when I started translating all my content to Thai, my channel quadrupled in subscribers. So I already had a you know a base there and the world finals every year was in Thailand. So I got to travel there every single year and I built like a network there. Right. So, yeah, he he said, why don't you move? And then I did a very simple high school mind map. And I was like pros and cons of staying in Sweden versus moving to Thailand. And then I reached out to my friends in Garena and I said, that, hey, guys, can you help sponsor me a visa so I can, you know, come over, do some work because I was already working with them and, uh, you know, try to live in Thailand. And I was intending to stay in Thailand for three months, and that was five years ago. <laughs> so um, within those three months, not only did I, you know, grow closer with you know Garena and eventually Tencent and a couple of the other local companies there, like AIS, which is a, a subsidiary of Singtel, um, I um, then met the CEO of Neolution Esports, and you know he he just was like, "This is a perfect fit." You know, I need someone with international experience that have done like you know business in Europe has worked with, you know, esport companies, because if I talk about myself, we're going to sit here the whole day, but I had my own esport company in Europe as well. So, you know, he wanted someone that had ran an esport company in Europe, which I had done before. Um, and uh, yeah, it just kind of clicked, you know, and uh, he offered me the position of running, you know, the marketing, internet cafes and all the athletes. So those 87 people was a mix of, you know, models, influencers, athletes, esport teams. I believe at the peak, we had 16 different games and teams. And it was a, it was a really fun time. And then, uh, yeah, you know, that kind of pivoted into, I was consulting an esport bar for a while in Bangkok. You know, I was on the board of a, uh, of an indie studio in Bangkok. So it all just kind of spiraled into, I guess I'm staying here. 
<laughs> and uh, honestly, you know, Thailand's uh, a cool place to live. But um, yeah, right now I'm in Sweden temporarily because the COVID situation in Asia is not very good. So I decided yeah. to go home, meet some family and, you know, be here. Was it was it hard to get back home right now? Um, I thought so. Uh, I mean, the biggest reason why I haven't left, I actually haven't seen my friends and family in two years, is that when you get back to Thailand, you need to quarantine for two weeks in a hotel room. And as I mentioned, I'm not very good at confined spaces being alone. Yeah. And I actually had COVID in April and I was uh, forced to stay in the hospital because that's the, the law in Thailand. You get COVID, you stay in the hospital. So I already experienced that uh, two week uh, isolation and I'd rather not do it again. So coming, that's the reason I didn't leave and coming back is might be a problem you know and that's why i'm not sure when i'm going back it might be in october or november we'll see but leaving was surprisingly easy you know i just got a fit to fly certificate a covid test within 48 hours of flying and uh, because i have a smart visa which is a um, not a tourist visa in thailand it's a work work visa right mm-hmm. uh, i just showed up to the airport and i was on a plane within 30 minutes there was no issues and uh the airport was very dead if you, if anybody listening hasn't been to Bangkok, I believe we have 25 million visitors a year. So normally we have like, you know, half a million people flying into the country in various airports every, you know, every month. Um, sorry, every week. Um, but um, yeah, it was dead. So, you know, I just walked through, got on the plane, landed. And uh, because Sweden and Denmark is so close together, you know, I just took a train from Kastrup in Copenhagen and got home. COVID test and done. And then I got the vaccine the day after I landed. So, well, that's good that at least you're, you're caught up and hopefully uh, it's, it's been interesting talking to different guests in different countries and seeing who's been able to get the vaccine. I had mine uh, a couple of months ago now. Um, Lots of friends in Canada who are just getting it. And uh, you're, you're the first person I've spoken to across the pond who, uh, you know, has, has now uh, been able to get it. And it's, it's nice uh, talking to people like yourself who are, are very eager to get get back out, stay connected with people, um, you know, not be confined. It, it sounds terrible. I'm sorry to hear that you've uh, had to go through not only COVID, but also that that isolation, which just seems uh, well, we all went through some degree of it. Um, I was yeah. I was at least with family, of course, but it's it's not easy for anybody. And I, I hate to hear those stories, but you seem like you've bounced back. You seem like you're doing OK, right? Yeah, I mean, like every every country has their own, you know, laws and regulations and you can agree or disagree. But ultimately, you know, shout out to my hospital, my doctor and my nurses were amazing. You know, they came in and checked on me every three, three times a day. Mm-hmm. I had like a 45 square meter room with um, a small living room. So it wasn't like a tiny space. And, you know, I had like five different menu items every meal. So, you know, it wasn't the worst. Uh, obviously, I, still not good for me, but uh because I was asymptomatic, so I had no symptoms. So I wish, mm. you know, my room went to somebody with problems. Yeah. But with that said, you know, uh, the hospital took uh, very good care of me. Um, but no, it, it was, yeah, again, not, not a fun experience. Uh, and, you know, the, the way that Thailand dealt with the virus worked really well in the beginning. And then, you know, now, sadly, it's not working so well anymore. Uh, I do hope they uh, get a hold of the situation. And uh, yeah, like you said about the vaccine, one of the reasons I came back was I wasn't able to get the vaccine in Thailand. Uh, mm-hmm. They, you know, they prioritize their own national nationalities first, which I understand. Um, so me as a foreigner, yes, I am working there. And, I, and, you know, I did speak out on Twitter saying that I'm a bit disappointed that I did not get, you know, in the same queue because 
you know, they were supposed to prioritize, you know, 65 plus, but I had 15 of my friends in my age get the vaccine before me, before mm-hmm. I even had like the ability to book one. So a, a bit disappointed, but, you know, as long as the people that really needed got it, I'm happy. Um, and then I got to go back and, you know, because of the privilege we have in Europe, I got the vaccine appointment within five minutes. You know, yeah. I, I booked my ticket home, logged online, put my passport, and I had my Pfizer booking the day after I landed. It was very simple. So thank you, Sweden, for that. <laughs> Happy about that. Yeah, well well done. And I, I hope they uh, continue on and get just as many people as possible uh, vaccinated against this so we can kind of uh, move on collectively. You know, it's, it's going to be nice yeah. when we can all sort of look in the rear view and uh, it's no longer such an emergent you know, threat. Um, so I guess we should talk about how you got to transition from, uh, you know, being around esports and part of esports, which it sounds like you still are to some degree, right? I mean, you're still sort of yeah. kind of in the scene also. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a long story, but I'll try to keep it short. As you can tell, I, I do talk a lot, so apologies. But no, um, that's why that's why we're here, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you know, I love esports, but uh, as I'm sure a lot of investors have learned their lesson by now. But there was a point in time five years ago where I got some really big investors. I wanted to put a lot of money in me, and I had a really good business plan. But I looked at it and I'm like, you know, this is bullshit. I can't reach this forecast. And I looked at all my friends' companies. I looked at all the, you know, the peers. I looked at everyone. And the reality was that only a very tiny portion, probably at that time, less than 20 esports companies were profitable. Mm-hmm. And everyone else was dying. And everybody else had ridiculous forecasts. You know, and I had some really good finance people look at my forecast and even in- increased it. And I'm like, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to be a founder that takes other people's money and loses it or just going to continuously race until eventually I'm profitable 15 years from now. It was a bubble, to be very clear. Esport is a bubble right now. was an even worse bubble a few years back, and I just didn't want to be part of it anymore on, on that side. So I decided to just not uh, found that company. I had good partners, but no. And instead, I decided to just go back to where my consulting was, which was in the video game industry which I've been doing on the side the whole time next to the esports. So I still do esports every now and then. I actually have a panel session next week and a, a speaker session about esports in like a month from now. So I'm still involved. Um, I still get, you know, questions about esports all the time or consulting opportunities, but I'm, I'm focusing more on the video games now. Um, I don't like industries that are in heavy bubbles. And the fact of the matter is most esports companies will die until they really find that good business model. Mm-hmm. Um, and those who are profitable are profitable because of merchandise. Like esports yeah. is not at that stage yet where you can finance almost everything with uh, sponsorships and tickets, like traditional sports. You mm-hmm. need those individual sponsors. Uh, sorry, you need uh, merchandise. And I, it's really hard to do. You look at Face Clan, you look at all these guys who are doing a great job. Cloud9, you know, like uh, Shroud labeling his products with Logitech. There are so many really cool ways of making money, but ultimately it's branding and merchandise. It's not, you know, your own products. It's not running in the green in any other way. And because of that, I just felt like it's not, I don't want to be here right now. I'll come back later, maybe, maybe not. Uh, Until then, I'll help whoever needs help. (laughs) So I made that decision, uh, I guess that's five years ago now when I had that offer. It was during the same time as Neolution. And uh, I was like, okay, let's get back into the uh, video game industry. So as I mentioned, I, I had a board position 
I still do uh, two of them. But um, yeah, honestly, <laughs> the funny thing is this company I met in a bar. So <laughs> I was, you know, traveling to Japan to Tokyo Game Show uh, with one of the board positions that wanted me to go there to, you know, find some business. And I met Danny and Rick, the founders in a bar in, in Tokyo. And, you know, uh, we I listened to their idea. I listened to what Global Top Run stood for. And I just fell in love with it. I said that I want to get involved. I just said, I need to be involved. Please tell me what you need. <laughs> it's like, you know, my, my little pushy attitudes. I was like, <laughs> I need to work with this. So they invited me to Malaysia in 2018, uh, where I got to see the Global Top Round Conference that we do every year. And I was sold. So at that time, I had five other clients plus GTR. So I ended up becoming an advisor for GTR and, you know, an official. They became my client or whatever you want to call it. And uh, within three months, I was like 100% sold. I'm like, I've been consulting for a while. It's good money, but it's very draining. And, you know, you got to change mindset. You got to change the way you think and with every client and every perspective. I'm ready to kind of go uh, full time. And um, yeah, Global Top Round just ticks every box that I have. Uh, I love growing startups. I love helping people. And I can do that here every year with new startups. So it just made perfect sense so yeah i put everything else aside and have been focused on the pure like indie and you know publishing and ip and distribution since then and it's yeah. an interesting way for you to sort of touch every aspect of uh, particularly indie development and you by the way you did yeah. a great job of um getting where i was going with that question with only half the question so thank you for that <laughs> but uh we we landed exactly where i was hoping we would because uh global top round as i understand is uh an accelerator primarily uh is, I mean, is that right i mean <laughs> it's really hard to label us because nobody else does what we do but mm -hmm. in a way that's a part of what we do yes okay so give me the full spectrum then i mean what can a, an indie coming in uh first approaching you expect from the experience yeah so uh, global top round I, I would call us more a business partner so Yes, we do have an acceleration so-called program. We do have a way where we're going from step one to, let's say, step six. But that's only part of the story. Because if you look at our website, it says six months acceleration program. Mm -hmm. That's not really true. Like, we work together for years. So the way that we work is uh, every year we invest in 10 studios. It's minority shares. Uh, it's only 5% to a maximum of 11 in every company that we get involved in. Once we've invested... No, yes, we run this so-called acceleration program, which lasts six months. That's primarily focused on business strategy, the outlook for the next years, rebuilding the pitch deck, finding out whether or not you're actually making the product you want to do, meaning are you asking for too much money, too little? Is it the right scope? Can your team deliver? You know, we kind of rerun the whole business in their head with our opinions, and then we come to a good conclusion where, okay, now we're going in this direction with these milestones. Let's work together to get there. And once they are ready, we start pitching them to partners. Most of these guys, you know, indies, we recommend to work with a publisher on their first game to kind of prove, you know, who they are as developers. I'm mm -hmm. sure there are a lot of people who will disagree with that. Why we like it is because it saves you the equity. If you can work with a publisher and prove to this publisher and the world that you can deliver high quality games, you can then work on your second game and then raise money. Rather than losing 10% on your current game, and then another 10%, for example, later on. So we'd like to, the publishing model initially. And then, of course, if you have a good publisher, keep working with them, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes studios work with publishers for their whole lives. That's fine. 
we're there with them regardless of which kind of direction they want to go. So on top of that so-called acceleration program, you know, looking at the whole business as a whole, um, we you know, are available 24-7. So all of our studios are in a Discord channel where we manage all of our investments and have also have access to each other. So we built a community where all our current 50 investments can talk to each other every day about marketing, about tech chat, about, you know, they have a lounge where they can chill. And then every company have their own individual uh, like channel where they have updates, investments, marketing, publishing. And we are there every time they need something. And as of this year, we're also all legal inclusive. So, you know, before, uh, well, we've always been all legal inclusive, but we did it by ourselves. You know, we, mm. uh, we did everything by our own, you know, we, gave feedback, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, it was sometimes passed back and forth with the lawyers. We still do that, but now we also have an awesome lawyer on board when it's needed. So, you know, that's actually included as well. You don't have to pay anything for it. And um, yeah, we're trying to build, you know, more and more support within our ecosystem so that the developers just have to do what they're good at, building the game while being coached by us. So two, three, four years down the line, you don't need us anymore, right? That's our goal with every company. We want to help you kind of grow from very small or nothing to something very good. And I'll use one example. So we have a studio in Brazil that we invested in 2017 called Rogue Snail. And uh, they started off with a game called Relic Hunter Zero, which is now the sequel of Relic Hunter's Legend. And their first game had no monetization. It made no money. Hmm. So we invested in them. And to date, I believe we've raised about $2 million for them. And now we have an awesome publisher in China we have an awesome publisher in NAEU, and we're also signing two separate deals that are going to be massive, and I can't even say what kind of deals they are. But, you know, they've grown from two people to 35 in four years. And, you know, that for us is a perfect indie success story. And in the last 18 months, uh, we've, you know, we've also improved. We get bigger every year ourselves. So we've raised $18 million in the last 18 months, which is a million a month on average, just for indie studios. Well. And we don't take any finder's fee on any investment rounds either. So if we're raising money, nothing goes into our pockets. Like that's part of being part of the program. We have equity in you. We want you to grow. So we're tied to, you know, the company and the title. We don't take like a separate kind of finder's fee or a retainer or anything. So you get people like us that, you know, are experts in different things. So, you know, my background, now you've heard that, you know, my founders are XVC, X Samsung, X Naver. You know, they've worked in huge corporates. We're all basically consultants with individual expertise that we kind of now have a really cool ecosystem. The one thing we were lacking before was someone with a production background. So we didn't have a producer on the team. So obviously I, I helped build the milestone plans for the publishers. I helped build the budgets and everything. And, you know, I'm good at that and I can do that, but you, I don't have the producer mindset. You know, I don't have, or do these milestones make sense for the studio themselves? You know, I can only look from a top line. So three months ago, we hired Max Kubler, uh, who uh, used to work for Deck 14 for eight years, uh, you know, produced Lords of the Fallen, The Search, and then became the head of publishing for Conscient Koalas, and now works for GTR. So now we have a producer on board as well, so that there's not a lot of things that, you know, are kind of slipping through our little ecosystem. So, yeah, we just want to provide as much as we can and help as many startups as we can grow every year. That's very cool. Uh, it, it's got to be incredible for these companies to get... Uh primarily that expertise. I mean, that seems to be one yeah. of the biggest things you guys are bringing to the table. Of course, you know, funding is great. Uh, connections are great. I'm sure they're grateful for that also. But to have that kind of expertise on the team seems, uh, I'm surprised more companies aren't trying to do this because it makes a lot of sense to me. Um, 
So that's extremely cool. I mean, that's got to be very, very competitive. And I, I wonder how you guys kind of pick and what you look for when you're considering who to sort of partner with. Great question. And it's a very hard to answer. Yes. Like yeah. in the last three years, we've gotten over 300 studios a year actually applying on our website. So by the way, if you are listening, it's live right now at globaltoprun.com. Sorry for the plug there, but we just launched it. So yeah, sure. please feel free to send us your pitch. So when you apply on the website, you send in your game. You do need a playable demo, by the way, uh, because since we are, you know, let's call it, you know, business partners, we need something to help you grow. If you don't have the game yet, there's nothing we can do now. You know, we want to help you right away. We don't want to help you a year from now. If we're going to help you a year from now, come back in a year, right? Yeah. So we like to get our hands on something so we can immediately give you feedback and immediately help you grow. And by the way, it's okay not wanting to grow as well. So let's be very clear here. Some studios want to stay small and be five to 10 people. We will still partner with you. It's not always about building a 500 people company. It's about building better games. So if you come to us saying that we're going to be a five to 10 people team for the rest of our lives, but every game is going to be better and better and better, that's fine. Because we're going to help you make the games better. So it's okay not wanting to grow, just to be very clear. Because I get that question a lot. Oh, okay, I want to be five people. So you're not going to sign us? I'm like, <laughs> of course we will. You know, it's just a matter of where do you want to take your company? So that's our first question to every studio. Like, where do you want to take it? Are you happy with just making an okay game? Do you just want to do it for, for fun? Or do you want to make this a business? We're looking for entrepreneurs who might not be entrepreneurs yet. You know, they might understand everything on how to build a company, how equity works, you know, all of that stuff. Um, but you want to you wanna learn. You want to become a CEO or you want to hire a CEO later on, right? Some people mm -hmm. are not meant to be CEOs, but they're meant to lead you know, the game itself. And that's fine too. So when the time comes, you know, we'll discuss on how to potentially, you know, get new leadership, but that's all down to the studio. So all of these things we're helping you with, we never, we don't have any voting rights. We do not have power over you. So the studio always decides that's key for us. So we're helping you as the founder or the founders become better people yourselves. We're not trying to replace you or, you know, bring in outside people to, to make it better. Mm -hmm. So that's the first and foremost. Do you want to build this into a business? Because I'm sorry, if you want to make games and make money, it's a business, just like anything. Yeah. And we call it, you know, entertainment. It's not just creating a video game. Sometimes it's creating a franchise, you know, comic books, making a TV show, uh, building into sequels, licensing your game to a mobile studio that then publishes a mobile game. You know, mm -hmm. all of these things will help you figure out where you want to go and what you want to do. And we'll make sure that you're ready for it. So just because you're partners with us doesn't mean we're going to pitch you to all of our partners if you're not ready. Yeah. So, you know, there, there are cases where we're just not happy with the product and then we can't do anything because we have a high reputation in the industry for bringing quality games. And the moment we stop doing so, we're going to start losing pull, right? Because we, we have about 120 publishers in our network. And out of those, we have 20 that we're very close with and we work with very regularly. We've done deals with already. And then we have, you know, 60 that we're acquaintances with, you know, we, we, set, we pitch them games. We, we party with them at the events, you know, we talk sure. about stuff and we're, we're good friends. Right. Um, and we need to have that kind of quality factor. So you always have to go through our filter first before we send you out, you know, so that that's something that's very important to us. Um, and the, uh, the second thing, which is tied to the first is just like, do you actually believe you and your team that you have right now can create better products? We don't expect your first game to be a blockbuster, and that's okay. You know, we're not signing you 
so you make $10 million next year. We're signing you because we believe that, you know, your first game's okay, your second game will be better, your third game will be better, and the fourth game might be amazing. Yeah. You know, look at Angry Birds, right? That was Supercell's, Ooh. I don't know, game 50 or Many, something. Many, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so we just want to have people that believe in themselves, you know, like the, the – the, and. To be very honest, a lot of the people in the indie industry aren't very good entrepreneurs yet. Mm. So we want to help you become one. Well, because you're good at being creative, you're good at building a product. Let us help you with the business side, you know. Let us, you know, give you advice, let us take you in the right direction while you do what you're good at. And over time, you know, they're looped in. So everything we do, they'll see so that they can learn from it over time. Um, other than that, I guess we don't currently do AR and VR really. That's the only thing. Uh, otherwise, we're open to everything, any country, any genre, you know, any to be, and, you know, by the way, please, we love diversity. Uh, you know, I keep uh, I got a tip here from Eve from Focus Home here uh, saying about South Africa. You know, we've never gotten pitches from there. So we would love to see new countries as well, because, I mean, how many investors say that Brazil is one of their best you know, countries? Not right. many. <laughs> For us, Brazil is an amazing region. Like, absolutely amazing. So. Uh, we'd also love to see more female founders. We don't get a lot of them every year. So, you know, getting one, like getting more of those would be awesome. So, you know, diversity as well, like that appreciates culture, understands that a game is not just, you know, made for you. It's made for a culture of people and a culture of people can be multiple countries. So one of my favorite things in any pitch is who did you make this game for? Did you make it for, for example, like the Southeast Asian culture because A, B, C, and D or are you one of those who say that you're targeting 10% of the entire world market of PC console mobile altogether and you think you're going to take 1% of that? Yeah. You know, so knowing who your product is for is really, really interesting for us. And that's one of the first questions I will ask you uh, because that's always more important. And it's okay to say that, you know, you got inspired by what you like to play. Yeah. So if you got inspired by what you like to play, who were those games made for? Right. And that's where you kind of get started. Um, yeah, I mean, I can dig into this topic a uh, hundred things more, but I, I generally, yeah, just passion, man. Like if you believe in your vision, then we can believe in you. And that is very clear when we have our calls together. Right. So, yeah. And that, that, uh, that answer alone has so many sort of rich topics. Like you say, we could really dig into a lot of aspects of what we just covered yeah. already. But, um, one interesting thing you mentioned is something I've noticed as well, uh, Obviously, networking is huge in game development in anything, in any business venture. Networking is so crucial, which is why another reason this has a lot of value. But um, you mentioned the the concept of not pitching something that isn't ready uh, for the benefit of, I mean, you'll lose your opportunity if you throw too many bad pitches to a, a big reputable publisher. But also, I mean, there's an important element of that that I think we could talk about that benefits a developer themselves, a studio head, a small team. Um, <clears throat> when I was a, a professional software developer and just doing non-game stuff and deciding, you know, who I'm going to work for next, if I want to change jobs, do so, some new position, pick up some new skill set, I had a recruiter tell me something that stuck with me because he said, there's a big major uh, firm in your area that is looking for people who do what you want to do. And I'm not going to submit you to them. And I, I was a younger guy at the time. So why not? Why would you not submit me to this company? He said, if I submit you now, they're going to say no. And when they see your name again later, when you are ready, they're going to say no again. And I, yeah. I think, I think there's a lot to that because 
it's it's a big industry, but it's not so big that a publisher is not going to have some memory of we looked at these guys and they weren't ready. Um, you don't really want that holding you back in the future later. I mean, wouldn't you agree with that? A hundred percent. And I actually dug in, I believe, almost half an hour on this on the IGB podcast I did a few weeks ago. Um, <laughs> it, it was all about being uh, ready because. For us, it doesn't matter, by the way. So if you're a developer now and not thinking you're ready, I don't care. Like our job is to take care of people like you that might not be ready, but you have something like a spark that we can see. So we accept all kinds of pitches, but 99.9% of the industry does not. So yes, and one of the most common topics here is when people like me or publishers get pitched obnoxious amounts when you've done nothing to put into it yourself. Coming with a pitch where you're asking for $2 million and you don't have a prototype or you don't have an MVP and you haven't worked for Ubisoft and Blizzard. I always talk about, I don't care about your resume. I don't care about, you know, the Ubisoft status or whoever you work for. It doesn't matter to me, but it does matter when you ask for 2 million without a build, yeah. because how am I meant to see what you're able to create if you have never created anything? So it, it's about, you know, what your pitch says you need to bring the material to cover that up. So if you're asking for a million dollars, you got to have put in your sweat equity or your time or your own money or friends and family and made something to prove that you can deliver a million dollar project. And it's the same thing because we don't invest a lot of money. Our first investment is only $40,000, by the way. Mm-hmm. So that's our first one, which is, again, why we call ourselves business partners, because our money does not complete your game. Our money is meant to show we believe in you. Now we're in this together. You lose money, we lose money. Yeah, That's like, you know, and we get the long-term equity in case you succeed. So it's a win-win for both uh, parties. So if you're not able to kind of put that 40K plus your own investments to good use, then what is 500K from a publisher going to do or 500K from an investor going to do? So yes, there is always a time where you pitch too early and that's why you need experts. So I I had an interview, I think uh, six months ago or a year ago where I talked about Find business partners, find co-founders that, you know, think differently from you that can add a value that you don't have yourself or expertise that you don't have yourself. Because, yeah, you might give out, I don't know, one to five percent in advisory shares or you you might have to pay a little bit of money if you can afford it. But you're going to get that knowledge that you don't have that you really need. Like knowing when you're ready is one of the key factors. And of course, there is that one last one which is maybe you're running out of money and you need to pitch and that happens and that's okay and you know what you should say so in your email then Mm -hmm. that's not a negative thing if you come to us and you say you know this is how how much we were able to afford to pull together then i'm going to look at the pitch differently but if you come you know with a very tiny demo and two million dollars i'm just going to be like no man (laughs) yeah because you know if you tell me that you ran out of money and you just cannot put in more of your time and effort then we can evaluate it. Okay, so they they put in 100K themselves. They were able to bring a demo that, you know, definitely we cannot sell at 2 million, but maybe we can add some things here and there. You know, I'm looking at your pitch deck and I'm like, okay, they talk about having, uh, you know, a crafting system and a looting system. Maybe if we add that in, that will spice up the demo. And, you know, our 40K can help you reach that. And then we can pitch it to the publishers and they might believe it, right? And without an external opinion, you're probably not going to find this out because... Anyone within your company is biased, especially if you're running out of money. You're in a panic mode. You just want to get your game signed and you don't think clearly. So having that ulterior person, even if it's not us or Will Utah or anyone else, 
it will help you so much. So yeah. I always both personally and professionally recommend to find advisors or business partners or co-founders that kind of supplement you. It's very, very important. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, again, if we can continue on this topic, if you want, because there are more things you should think about. But generally, just uh, you know, show in some sort of form what you've been able to achieve and accomplish with the time and slash or money you put in so far, and then evaluate your product project from there. You know, it is possible that if you are one of those people that want to build a big game, uh, but you don't have the demo there yet, you can do a small round with friends and family. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm sure most of you have friends and family. Of course, some some don't. But if you do and they believe in you, they're going to support you, right? They're going to... Or, or take a loan from a bank with collateral, whatever your plan is. But yeah. you need to believe in the product for us to to buy it, right? Like, how am I going to believe in you if you don't put in anything yourself? It's just not possible. Um, it's true. Yeah, it's it's interesting because uh, another great thing you you brought up earlier is if you're starting a game, if you're starting a studio, you have a startup, and you have to think exactly like an entrepreneur does. Uh, and I mean, that goes even further down than games. I mean, like I have to think about this podcast like a business. I mean, if you're doing something that you're spending your time on and you want it to grow, you want it to succeed, you have to do what successful businesses do. And it is yeah. very common to uh, start up with a friends and family round. I mean, that's extremely common in any any startup. And it's something that uh, when they come to speak to somebody like yourself, that's something you look at, you know, have people yes. voted for this with their support, with their money, with their time. Uh, do people believe in this? And I, I think something yeah. Indies can sort of take away from this is it is important not to create a situation where your opinion of your project is the biggest one in the room. You need yes. people around you, even at the, the personal level, friends and family who <laughs> find the people who will tell you the truth about what they think. You know, if, if your aunt doesn't understand this and she's going to tell you that, it's okay to listen to that sometimes. Um, it's, it's good to have a friend who, who sort of knows the business a little bit, who will say, um, I love this concept. It looks bad right now. You know, <laughs> um, exactly. Don't, don't put yourself in a situation where you hype yourself up. And you believe that you have, you know, the greatest gift to humanity and uh, set yourself up for disappointment during those big, important conversations with a publisher, with a partner, uh, when you're depending on funding to come through. That's not when you want to surprise yourself. I mean, would you agree? Yes. And not only that, we're in 2021. Social medias are everywhere and it's free. Yeah. Reddit's free. Facebook groups are free. Facebook posts are free. I'm going to use an example of a partner of ours. So Grime was just launched by Akupara Games. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've seen that game, but that yeah. is a beautiful indie game. Right. Absolutely beautiful. We saw this GTR, I believe, two years ago or even three when it was first pitched to us and it was a bit too early. And then we just saw the development until they eventually got signed by Akupara. And th th these guys are, you know, students at a, at a university, right? And a university ended up supporting them. They got yeah. actual support from the university, which is awesome. Yeah. And, you know, there's grants available and all of this when you put time into something. You cannot ask for money from other people without putting time there. And what they did was they posted in Screenshot Saturday on Indie Game Dev on Facebook <laughs> every week. They gained a following. People started to like it. They posted like small gifts and pictures. And I've been following that game for three years. And, you know, now it launched and I believe it had an 8.5 out of 10. And I'm not surprised, you know, yeah. it's it's a, it's an amazing game. And that cost them nothing. 
Yeah. It cost them 20 minutes every Sunday or Saturday. Sorry. And then they just posted that and they got likes and they got comments and they got feedback. And most importantly, not their own feedback. Like you said, it's about not being the biggest opinion in the room. So if, even if they didn't have Akapara games on board and they pitched me as GTR and they screenshotted all these like Reddit threads and these Facebook posts with all the feedback, likes and views, I can tell, okay, there's something here. Yeah. Right. Because again, that was free. So there is no excuse not to do that. That's the minimum amount of work you can do. Yeah. And if all the feedback you're getting from friends, family, and social medias is bad, like you said, maybe it's not a good product right now. Maybe you need to go back and think about it before you pitch it. And if you haven't even taken these steps to try and pitch something, try and show something to other people, why are you coming to me? Yeah. Right? You need other people's opinion. I'm not the best at what I do. And I'm probably never going to be the best at what I do. I'm going to keep learning from my peers. I'm going to keep learning from other people. Right now, I have a bi-weekly call with five people in my position in other companies around the world in different industries. I have a guy who's doing Poland only. I have a guy in the US. I have a guy in Germany. All of us are, you know, if you look at this as competitors, theoretically competitors, we don't see each other as such. We see each other as individuals who can all learn from each other, understand our own algorithms, the own way of doing scouting our own way of doing deals, and we're continuously kind of draining feedback from each other. That's free. Yeah. All we did was me and that American guy who was my friend, we were just like, we should just make a bi-weekly call with a bunch of biz devs and start talking. That's how it started. This was nine months ago. We've been doing it nine months straight. <laughs> Every two weeks, I learned something new. And it's the same kind of model as the, the indies. Every two, well, every week, actually, you do a screenshot Saturday, you show something new, you get new feedback. And that's free. Yeah. Something I love about um, the recent trends we've seen since the start of the pandemic is um, when I first started speaking to developers who were dealing with, uh, you know, lockdowns in their country, they, they had to work remotely where maybe they weren't used to it before, things like that. And as the uh, first few uh, events got shut down, uh, you know, GDC canceled and, you know, for, for a year, everything was canceled. We couldn't uh, network in person. We couldn't uh, go pitch something to a publisher like we might have before. But developers said, hey, we're noticing that people are starting to reach out on social who weren't really there before. People who do work in publishing and people who have expertise in marketing, who normally were in uh, conference room meetings all day long. Those people started to reach out and said, hey, you know, not for money, not for work. I just want to help people who are stuck in their house and trying to keep a project alive. Tell me how I can help you, what questions you need answered. And uh, very valuable expertise started to be available online, on social, where it never was before. And I said, hey, I hope we keep this going. I hope this becomes more of a community uh, expectation that we can sort of rely on as we move forward, people helping each other to put their best foot forward. I mean, that strengthens the industry, that strengthens the people around us, which is awesome. And not only did that continue, but I, like you said, I think we're starting to see some of the first games that are coming out as part of those trends of like, hey, every Saturday, let's, you know, let's share our pitches with one another. There'll be pros watching, but otherwise you'll just get great feedback from Twitter, you know, for example, or, uh, you know, you can put yes. your stuff on Instagram. And so, of course, some good actual business connections were made, but also we, we got the great feedback. We heard the expertise 
And uh, like you said, there, there are games starting to come out that started during that time or uh, came a long way during that time. And fantastic. It's exactly what we hoped for, you know. So I, I just hope we continue uh, the ball rolling in that direction as we do start to reemerge. And, um, you know, it doesn't seem like we're one foot out the door with the pandemic yet, but it does seem like soon we're going to be able to comfortably meet in person again. And uh, I hope we do continue to do this work online, stay in touch with one another, do our Zoom calls and our Discord servers and stuff, because look how far we've come already. Uh, something that could have threatened the industry itself turned into something that, hey, we adapted and we're strong in brand new ways now, you know? Exactly. I think we're going to keep doing this hybrid thing, like even after everything opens up, or we're going to do a mix of digital, offline, Zoom, Discord, all these different things. And it's just going to keep going. And it's funny you mentioned Twitter, because quite honestly, Twitter is better than LinkedIn when it comes to game development. I've found way better pitches on Twitter. And, you know, all you have to do is make a small trailer and tag me on Twitter, and I'm going to look at it. And yeah. you can't do that on LinkedIn. And it's really cool, you know. And not only that, when you do that, every one of my followers see it too. And I have a lot of publishers to follow me and all of us publishers and investors together, we, we share deal flows, you know, we're like, Oh, did you see that cool thing on Twitter? Well, like when I posted about diversity, you instantly said, have you seen these 10 South African studios? <laughs> it's like, you know, I, I, I really love that. So I think there, again, there is no excuse not to kind of build a community or get out there and use all these different social medias and especially Twitter and, and Facebook groups and, and just like start building a following and get some feedback. And it's going to continue, like you said, even after the events. Now, I don't think we're ever going to replace offline events. I don't think right. we're ever going to go fully digital because mm -hmm. you still need that human to human connection. I mean, we made 10 investments last year without seeing them face to face. Yeah. That, that's, that's not what we prefer. <laughs> yeah. Our general model is, you know, and conference, meet you in person, and then finalize the deal. But um, no, we're we're in a new era for sure. Uh, this hybrid is going to keep going, and I think it's for the better. And it's like you said, and, and I think that's the biggest point. There is enough in this industry for everyone. That is why we do that bi-weekly call. We don't see each other as competitors. Rather, we sometimes share deal flow. We're like, hey, hey you know, like I have this game. I can't find a publisher. Do you know someone? And, you know, we can ask for help. And you know, we all have at least 10, 20, 30 clients all at the same time. And we still have the chance to help each other without kind of crossing over. You know, we're not going to ruin some other person's business because this industry is already what? I think it's 24 billion or something this year or next year that it's yeah. projected to be. It's crazy, man. <laughs> and the funny thing is that the indie portion of this is growing bigger and bigger and bigger. Tribes of Midgard, I think they sold half a million copies in a week. Or, That's an indie studio. Yeah. And, you know, with Gearbox. And then we had, you know, Valheim. They sold 6 million copies, which is absolutely crazy. Yeah. And, you know, and I think it all started back, you know, when Stardew Valley and Minecraft and these came out. Like, that's the old days. Now we're in the days where it's time to look in new. It's time to find fresh developers. And people no longer care about these big brand names only. They care about good games. They care about good mechanics. They care about fun experiences. And then, you know, and one thing that I don't think we should talk about in detail, but, you know, all this coming out about Blizzard and everything else, it's been here for so long. Mm -hmm. I, I've been outspoken about it. Other colleagues of mine have been outspoken about it and nothing ever happened. So I am very happy that it's finally coming out and that, you know, people will be held accountable 
And, you know, that is the next step. We are finally fixing, you know, the uh, the gender equality in the industry. Yeah. Indies are getting more of a spotlight. Smaller, you know, teams are able to sign with AA or AAA publishers. You know, we've signed, you know, five AAA deals in the last two years, like with AAA publishers, with big budgets, with teams that have never delivered anything. So if you're listening to this thinking that Pontus might be speaking a little bit of crap, you know, no, I actually closed these deals. I'm not just talking. We've closed you know, double and triple A deals with triple A, like with these publishers, with teams that have never launched a product. Mm-hmm. It is possible if you come with a good thing to the table and, you know, you can prove that you can make it happen. Yeah. And I mean, I, also without digging into it, uh, the way forward is that diversity that we talked about. Uh, I, yes. I, everyone agrees that getting more voices and more representation in the industry is going to very naturally create a place where, you know, toxicity isn't welcome and no one feels comfortable yes. making it a, a club of any kind for any one person. Uh, and it's exactly what we need. It's a fantastic time to see, uh, as, as you say, uh, underrepresented countries. Uh, the, the greatest minds are bringing forth incredible projects. I mean, things that we're, we're all desperate to play and see and, and see grow. Uh, there is as level a playing field as we're likely to get anytime soon. And uh, it's a great time for small teams to uh, come ready, uh, come prepared, but take that shot. You know, yeah. do put in the work, put in the research, get the feedback, act on the feedback, and then take that shot. Now is a fantastic time. So um, just because this is uh, a huge part of the the value, I think, of this interview, um, and you've you've answered this question pretty well already, but is there anything else Andy's need to be thinking about to get attention from someone like yourself when they need it? Honestly, it's just trying. You know, we talked about like losing, you know, yeah, you might lose a bit of uh, reputation if your build isn't ready, but just keep trying. You know, the thing is that even if you did lose that first initial pitch, and I might not look at it the second time, there are cases where it's the opposite. So uh, I'll take a perfect example, which I am so proud of, which is uh, uh, one of our investments called Clover Creek Entertainment from Finland. They came to our investment conference in Korea, and it was exactly that. They had an amazing idea. They had a really cool team that we liked, but the game just wasn't there. Mm-hmm. You know, we did not we did not know if they could deliver. So we said no. We passed on the opportunity. And then we said, and well, I said, because this was my kind of, I'm biased towards the RTS and strategy genre because I played a lot of StarCraft in my life. Mm-hmm. And I said that this is an amazing idea. You guys have a, like such a good concept here. I just need to make sure you can deliver. These guys bootstrapped, barely paid themselves. They just went into it. And three months later, they came back with a much better build. It was like, wow, how did you do this in three months with just four people? <laughs> and then three months later, we invested in them. And now we're going to be closing a deal for them, and well, probably this month, you know. And we also raised a, an investment round for them earlier this year. So all of this has just kind of, you know, it's a perfect example of them coming back and telling us what's up. So rather than taking this as a, oh, damn it, I lost, or you know, keep 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 begging me for money, they sent me updates. They were like, you know, hey, Pontus, uh, here is a, a breakdown of what we did in the last three months in a build. If you want to try it. Etc. They weren't like asking to get investment. They were just telling me what's up. I'm going to read that. I'm going to see what's going on. And, you know, when we tried the new build, it was just so good. It was a no brainer. You know, it was like, we got to sign this. And uh, yeah, we did. 
So even if you do get a rejection, don't think it's the end of the world. You can definitely come back. But like I said, really think about when you believe you're ready. Try to get that outside opinion. And if you still want to keep us updated, send us an update email. You know, you don't have to ask for money in every email you send or every tweet you send or every LinkedIn post. You can always also just tell us what's up. Or, you know, you can be like Pontus, do you have time to chat 20 minutes? I want to run some ideas by you. Yeah. We will do that. You know, if we like your idea, yeah, time is money, it's true. But trust me, if we see your passion and you know, we might not think you can deliver now, but we do see the spark, I want to know what you're doing. Yeah. I want to see what's going on and i'm okay i'm happy to help you you know like the thing is and you've said it already that i believe nowadays it's very easy to get free advice on the internet people are very helpful in this industry and you know it's getting more and more open and you it doesn't hurt to ask you know like hey pontus can i get the answers to these questions or what do you think about this or how is this slide you know i'll answer you if i have time and if i don't have time that's okay i shouldn't be the only one you're reaching out to right yeah don't put don't put all your eggs in one basket. One tip I can give you um, as a developer is whether you work with a business partner or not, build kind of like a tier list of who you want to work with. This goes for business partners, co-founders, first of all. It also goes for publishers. And it also goes for investors. Now, what are the pros and cons of all these partners? And here's probably a question most of you haven't considered. What's in it for us? Every time you're asking for money, you're asking something from us. But what do we have to gain from this portion, right? Mm -hmm. What are we getting out of this? So if you're asking, let's say, uh, let's take Devolver. You want to sign with a Devolver. You think that's the best partner for your project. Why? Let's say that they have launched previous genres that are similar to yours, meaning that they can, you know, uh, sorry, market to the same audience that they've previously done, meaning that they will get more sales, meaning that they will make more money. It's a low risk bet for them. That means that you have a better particular pitch for Devolver alone. So if you include that slide in your pitch saying that Devolver, we believe you're the best partner because you've launched six titles that are similar, you can remarket to all of these and they are going to like our game. Rather than just sending a generic pitch, that will help you. Or if you come to me as Pontus and you're like, hey, you know, we have a really good team, but we're not exactly sure where, what direction to go, how to scale our company, what to do. GTR can give us that expertise so that we can scale the company in a certain way. I now understand why you want to work with me and not with you, for example, Todd, right? Like, if you can tell every partner that you have what what is in it for them or how they can help you and why they are the one to do it, that makes a much greater pitch. Mm-hmm. And even in the updates, you know, if you, again, if you got rejected and you come back three months later and you're like, I did a lot of research, you know, and you are the best partner because A, B, C, and D. If you can put yourself in our shoes and imagine that, you know, we don't know you, we've never worked together, you're asking something from us. What are you giving us in return? Mm-hmm. That is as important because it's a business partnership, whether it's a publisher, an advisor, or an investor. And I think that's a question a lot of indies don't ask themselves. Like, yeah. have you ever put yourself in our shoes? Right? Because the money that we have is, you know, money that we get from our investors, right? We also have investors to take care of. So, like, when we invest in you, you know, we're expecting returns by helping you, by making you get bigger. And a publisher who gives you money is expecting to make their money back with profits. Yeah. It is an entertainment industry. If you're looking for money, there needs to be a business model. You need to be looking to make profit. As sad as that is to hear, maybe some people are like, no, I just want to make good games. Oh, I'm sorry. Then you're not going to be a good person to work with as an investor. Right. 
investors want profit, publishers want profit, and I hope you, as an entrepreneur, want profit. If you don't think that way, don't ask for money. Yeah. It's a very simple kind of equation. Like that is how, you know, entertainment works and that's how building a business works. And, you know, besides all of those boring things, if we're going to call them boring, something beautiful will come out of this, which is that you will hopefully make an entertaining product that will give happiness to tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people while making money. That is the ultimate goal. You know, if you look at our portfolio, we're not just signing 10 FPS games. We have everything. This year, we invested in a beautiful game called Dome, which is a narrative story about a little girl rem like reminiscing her memories with her grandma in watercolor. Wow. It's an incredible, incredible game. We've never done a game like that before. When we saw it, we were like, oh my God, we need to sign it. It's so beautiful. It's so different. And it's, we just want to help. We just want to help them. Yeah. Right. And, and that is our, that's what, you know, drives us is creating entertaining, beautiful products. But with all that, you know, uh, butterflies and awesome things at the end of the day, guys, it's a business you got to make money. Absolutely. Perfect answer. I think that makes a ton of sense and uh, is going to definitely help the mindset of uh, a lot of folks listening, which is great. So uh, as we close out, let people know where they can find you, your, uh, your company and anything else you want to show them. Yeah, so uh, globaltopram.com. If you want to work with someone like me and all my awesome colleagues, uh, please go there. You can apply on the website. And if you have any questions, uh, please uh, just message me on LinkedIn. I think it's at Beeslab, if I'm not mistaken. I need to probably change that handle. <laughs> and then, of course, it's Pontus Mahler on LinkedIn. It's uh, Pontus Mahler on Facebook. You can find me at my name pretty much everywhere. Uh, I still use my gamer tag on some of my uh, medias. Uh, I didn't have time to speak about our second company today, but if you want to... Uh, you know, get your game tested with a couple thousand gamers. You can go to gameround.co. You can check that out and you can ping me on Twitter because we actually do some free tests for indies right now. So it would be a free service where you can test your product like we talked about in this call to a couple thousand people, which will help you to kind of understand what direction you're going. And it's going to become a paid service soon. So please do, you know, come over and, and grab a slot. Um, so yeah, I believe... Uh, Twitter is probably the best place to reach me. Uh, otherwise, LinkedIn and uh, websites you've heard. And otherwise, it's Pontus at globaltopround.com. That's my email. So, gotcha. Yeah. Awesome to be here. And we'll point you in the right direction in the show notes. Uh, Pontus, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. No, thank you for bringing me on board. It's like, uh, it's like I said, I, I love, you know, podcasts like, like yours where we can just, you know, no agenda. We just chat and, you know, hopefully people learn something from it. And I, I think we've got more than enough to go on to have you back later. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. <laughs>